You are listening to a message from The Political Pastor. Each week, The Political Pastor expounds the Word of God to his local congregation. These messages are made available to you in podcast on thepoliticalpastor.com as well as other popular podcast platforms. Visit thepoliticalpastor.com and click on the podcast link at the top to find our full listing of podcasts. The story of Bartimaeus paints a vivid picture of a man and his relationship to God. We all, like Bartimaeus, find ourselves in an uncurable condition with nothing more to offer than an unceasing cry for mercy. With the unconditional call of Christ, we experience an unbelievable change. We cry out, God have mercy. Turn with us to Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52 as the pastor delivers the sermon, Have Mercy. You know, even in our modern society, we acknowledge acts of mercy. And that's those things which a person does not have any kind of right to, and yet we show them compassion or we show them kindness in spite of the fact that they really don't deserve it or have a right to it or not worthy of it. Some of you might remember a sitcom uh, that John Stamos was one of the characters in called Full House. And in that uh, sitcom, John Stamos's character had a phrase that he used very often. He would say, have mercy. I'm not going to say it like he used to say it in that show. He would say, have mercy. Well, I remember we used to play a game when we were younger that was kind of a, a type of hand wrestling. Did anybody ever play that a game we call mercy? Did anybody ever play mercy? You kind of reach and put your hands together and you start with that little wrestling and struggling around till finally someone gets the other person in a really bad situation and the game continues on until that person in a really bad situation cries out, mercy. In other words, stop. I've had enough. I've lost. I give up. You won. So I don't deserve any compassion or any relief here, but please give me some relief because I'm hurting now, right? Well, that's the idea of mercy. You, you see this. In the tap in mixed martial arts, when two guys are struggling and fighting with one another and another one gets that opponent in a very bad situation, maybe he gets him in an arm bar or something else, and the person in a bad situation taps, what does that mean? That tap means I give up. Show me some mercy. I don't deserve it, but please have compassion on me. I'm in a situation that I can't control anymore, so now I'm appealing to the one who has the power to show mercy. Well, in our text today, that is the cry of a blind beggar man who is named Bartimaeus. And he cries out as Jesus is coming by, have mercy. Mark chapter 10, look at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, 
Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, he's calling for you. And throwing off his outer garment, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Well, you know, two weeks ago, we focused on a common thread between two stories. So I had to remind my son about this last night because he thought I preached a rerun last week of the the week before. So now he's going to think I'm preaching a a rerun again. So he's going to think it's the third time in a row that I've preached this message. But you'll recall that in that a couple weeks ago, we introduced two stories at one time and we, we drew a contrast between those two stories. It was the story of James and John as they sought glory to set the right and left of the Savior Jesus Christ in his glory. And then we saw the story of Bartimaeus, which we read this morning. So last week, we we dove a little bit deeper into that story about James and John and their attitude that they were able, they were able to somehow do what was necessary. And then today we're coming to Bartimaeus and we're going to look a little deeper at this story as Bartimaeus's plea is very different from James and John. You don't find Bartimaeus claiming that he is able to do anything. Instead, you find him crying out for mercy. He's crying out to the only one who is able, and that is Jesus Christ. So we saw the common question that was found in both of these stories. Jesus asked both James and John and Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And their responses are very different. Remember that Jesus has now set his determined course for Jerusalem. He's on his way to his death, his crucifixion, his subsequent resurrection. He's so resolute as he goes to Jerusalem, his disciples are fearful at this time. They've never seen anything like it. And it's in that setting that James and John come with their selfish request. And it's on that same journey in that same setting that Jesus encounters Bartimaeus. With a totally different perspective, a totally different attitude, and a totally different response. Bartimaeus, in this story today, is going to present for us a picture. It's a picture of every one of us. We'll find him in an uncurable condition, just like we are. We find Bartimaeus resorting to an unceasing cry. Then he receives an unconditional calling, and it results in an unbelievable change. Look at verse 46 of our text again. Notice Bartimaeus' uncurable condition. Verse 46, it says, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Now look at the place, first of all, that they're at. We're told that they came to Jericho, and then as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, he encounters Bartimaeus. 
This is not the Jericho that you might think of from the Old Testament scriptures, the one that Joshua quickly encountered on the conquest of the promised land. And you remember what happened to the walls of Jericho, right? They came down flat. This is not the same Jericho. This is a different Jericho, a New Testament Jericho that's referenced. It was a long inhabited area about 18 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, this was one of two cities, the other being Damascus, by the way. The archaeologists have told us were one of the oldest cities, one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities, actually. So it had been inhabited by people for a very, very, very long time. And it was here that Jesus encounters Bartimaeus. This Jericho was located on a a major thoroughfare for its day. There was lots of traffic, and this was perfect for a beggar, right? A person who had nothing else that they could do but ask for money because they were in such a condition they could do nothing else for themselves. This was the perfect place to be, along a very busy thoroughfare, many people coming by. That's why even today the beggars will sit at the exits of the interstates or at a major intersection where there's a lot of traffic, a lot of people, because there's a lot more opportunity for money, right? And so Jericho would have been the place for that. And here we find such a beggar in such a place. But who is this person in this place? We're told in verse 46 that it was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Now, this is interesting because actually Mark kind of repeats himself here. He says it was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. This reveals that Mark was writing to a more Gentile audience, as we've been talking about, because they might not understand completely uh, Jewish tradition. The word bar, the, the Jews would have understood bar to mean son. So when you have Bartimaeus, literally the name means son of Timaeus. And so Mark clarifies that for his Gentile readers, saying this man was named Bartimaeus, so for you Gentiles to understand, it means he was the son of Timaeus. And so he repeats himself. But it's unique in another way here, because throughout the synoptic gospels, there are many people that we find that Jesus has healed. But what is unique about Bartimaeus versus all of those others that Jesus has healed as we see it in the gospels? Bartimaeus is the only one who's actually named of those people who are healed. Now you find the resurrection of Lazarus, he's named, and you find other events where people are named. But as far as the healing goes, we we know of, we know of lepers, we know of paralytics, we know of blind people, but we don't always have their names. In this particular occasion, Mark gives us a specific name. This person's name was Bartimaeus. So it tells us there's something very important, something very unique about this person and this story that Mark kind of alters the way everybody else and all the other gospels present the healings of Christ. There was something special about this particular man and this particular occasion. So we've seen the place that he was at and the person, but notice the problem that he had. We're told that he was a blind beggar. So he had a couple of problems, didn't he? The biggest being, he was blind. He could not see. And therefore, he couldn't do a lot of things that others would do, so he had to resort to begging. He could beg, 
He could cry out, but he was incapable of doing little more than that. Others could come along and give him money, but did that cure his condition? No. He was still in an uncurable condition. There was nothing that Bartimaeus could do to change his condition. Do you understand that? He could beg. Others could give him money, but his condition was still the same. He remained blind. He was in a hopeless state. He could do nothing for himself, and no one else could do anything for him either. Nothing to change his condition. And this is a vivid picture of our state, of mankind. This is the condition in which we all came into this world. We came in as helpless babies. Sure, we depend on someone else to do everything for us when we came into this world. But it's more than that. We were not just born as helpless babies. We were born with an uncurable condition. We came into this world born with a condition that we could do nothing to change ourselves. There was nothing we could do about it. There was nothing that anyone else could do about it. There was no cure. What was that condition? You know what it's called, right? It's a three-letter word. Sin. Sin. We were all born in this world in sin, and there was nothing we could do to change that. Psalm 51.5 tells us, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Ephesians 2.3 tells us, Among them too, We all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were born that way, born under God's wrath. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Who was the one man who sinned in the beginning there, in the early stages? It was Adam, right? And since that time, since Adam's sin, every one of us have been born in this world in that condition, condition of sin. And none of us would do any better. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus tells us in John 15.5 that apart from me, you can do... And the barrier to salvation for so many is the attitude that James and John had. The barrier for so many is they still think somehow they are able to do something about their condition. They they have some type of goodness, some type of capability, some type of ability to work and achieve and merit God's favor. But it's not the case. We have an uncurable condition and there is nothing that we can do to change it. And so we see Bartimaeus in his uncurable condition. But notice in verse 47, we now see Bartimaeus with his unceasing cry. Verse 47 says, when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 48, many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Now, this cry of Bartimaeus to the Lord Jesus, it all began with a hearing. He heard something that made a difference for him. In Luke 18, verse 36, 37, we find the Luke's account of this gospel that what happened was Bartimaeus heard the crowd going by. And he hears this multitude, this crowd that's passing by. Understand as a blind man, he can't see what's going on, but no doubt his hearing is probably enhanced and he can hear and sense and know something big is happening, something outside the norm. There's lots of people that pass this way through Jericho. It's a main thoroughfare, but this is unusual. There's a large crowd, a multitude. And so he inquires and wants to know what in the world is going on. And the people tell Bartimaeus that Jesus is here. Jesus is here. The Bible tells us that faith comes by what? Hearing. and Hearing by the word of God. He heard the multitude. He inquired what's going on and he heard that Jesus was there. And that was what made the difference in his cry. You can only imagine what Bartimaeus was crying out before this. Hey, a little alms for the poor. A few coins to help me along my way. I'm just a blind man. I need some help. But then he hears that Jesus is near. And notice how his cry changes. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There was a recognition of who Christ is. His theology really is amazing. It comes out in his cry. Do you see who he calls Jesus? Jesus, son of David. He's acknowledging the Messiah, the long-promised deliverer of Israel. That he would come out of the house, the lineage, the family of David. That he would be David's greater son and that he would be David's son and yet at the same time David's Lord. This was some deep stuff coming from the lips of this beggar. He's declaring who Christ is. He's the Messiah. He's the deliverer. Who does he cry out to for his deliverance? The only one who can. The Jesus, the son of David, the promised Messiah. Now, James and John, remember in contrast to this, cried out in entitlement, didn't they? I deserve something. This belongs to me. I'm entitled. We are in an entitled society today. Amen. (laughs) Everybody thinks they're entitled to something. James and John cried out from a place of entitlement. But Bartimaeus cried out for mercy. For mercy. It reminds me of the cry of the tax collector Versus the Pharisee. I want to ask you to turn there real quick. Look with me in the book of Luke in chapter 18. You might remember this story, but I want you to notice particularly what's said about this story in Luke chapter 18. And in verse number 9, Luke 18 verse 9. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And he also told this parable to some people who noticed this who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. What is Jesus addressing? A bunch of self-righteous people. (laughs) They think they have righteousness in and of themselves. They view others as being less righteous. 
And notice what he says in verse 10. Look at this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood, was praying these things to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, now before we get there, what was the key in verse 10 and 11 in this prayer? Did you notice a repeated word? Actually, it's one letter throughout that passage. What was it? I. I. But the tax collector, verse 13, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest, saying what? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. (laughs) Who was the person who left justified that day? Not the one who tried to justify himself, but the one who cried out for mercy. For mercy. And that's what Bartimaeus is doing in our story today. You see, without... Christ's mercy. We would have no hope of salvation because only He can cure us and only if He has mercy on us. Romans 9, 15, for He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You know, some people concern themselves about this doctrine sometimes of grace and the sovereignty of God that perhaps... Maybe God would ignore somebody's plea for mercy. Are you saying that God, God chose someone and if, if someone else calls out to him that God wouldn't save him, that, that God would ignore him because he wasn't a chosen one? You hear stuff like this all the time. Let me explain something. First, God always does right no matter what he does. Can we establish that? No matter what God does, it is right. He never does anything that is unjust or sinful. But second, For those who plea for God's mercy, he grants their plea. What does the Bible tell us? That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. If you call, he's going to save. The issue lies here. If you're left to yourself, you wouldn't cry out for mercy. Left in your sin, You would never come unless God steps in and does something miraculous. You won't come. But if you come, what does the Bible tell us? He'll in no wise cast you out. It's not a matter, is it, of going around figuring out who's the elect, who's not the elect. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of will you come? And if you're coming, guess what? You're his. We don't have to sit around trying to pick and choose and figure it out, right? That's not the issue. I'd ask you this morning, is he drawing you today? Is he calling you today? If so, come. Come. As believers, even, we still find ourselves in need of his mercy every day, don't we? You know, we think of his mercy just in terms of being saved in a certain event, but even as believers who 
We're saved people who've experienced God's mercy. We are in need of His mercy day in and day out. Aren't you thankful, though, that His mercies are new every morning? (laughs) What an encouraging, refreshing thought. That every day we find our Savior extending mercy to His children, extending compassion to His children. Though we are undeserving, His mercy shines upon us. And we should unceasingly cry out, as people who recognize our condition, cry out for God's mercy. God, be merciful to me. We see Bartimaeus in his uncurable condition. We see him in his unceasing cry. But now notice, as we come to verse 49, Bartimaeus now experiences an unconditional call. An unconditional call. In verse 49, it says that Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, get up. He is calling for you. And throwing off his outer garment, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. R.C. Sproul said, it's one thing to call on the Lord and another for him to call on us. That's where true redemption lies. You know, you find Bartimaeus crying out. But what made the difference? It was when Jesus called. And when Jesus called for him, everything was about to change. In fact, he was told in verse 49 to take courage, to get up, because he's calling for you. There was reason for good cheer. Now there was actually some hope. You've been in a hopeless situation, Bartimaeus, but now Jesus is calling for you. There's reason to be excited, isn't it? There's reason for him to be encouraged. There's reason for him to be of good cheer. Jesus says in John 6 and verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. 2 Timothy 1.9 who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now answer this question for me. What in the world had Bartimaeus done to deserve this call from Christ? Not a thing. Not a thing. Remember where Jesus is headed, right? Remember what the focus is now? Remember how resolute he is as he's going to Jerusalem, as he's about to be scourged and crucified? And yet, in that place, he extends mercy to a blind beggar. For what reason? Only that Christ was merciful. Solely in his compassion. And he extends mercy, calls this man to himself. And notice the response in verse 50. We're told he, th- he threw off his outer garment, and jumped up, and came to Jesus. What did he do? He removed the thing that would entangle him and hinder him. He put off the old. It wasn't necessary anymore. It wasn't the important thing anymore. You see, the outer garment, 
would be long and flowing. And a person who is going to engage in some activity in this time, you understand the Bible talks about girding up our loins. Well, what would they do when they would gird up their loins? They would take this long flowing garment and they would tie it up so that it wouldn't entangle them. It's just kind of like an athlete who competes today wears a different type of attire than what they do for normal activities. When they're going to be in an athletic endeavor, they have to wear a certain type of attire so it doesn't entangle them or trip them up or inhibit what they're about to do. So what is he doing? He's throwing off the outer garment. It's not important anymore. He didn't want anything to hinder him, nothing to tangle him up, nothing to prevent him as he comes to Jesus Christ. He was just fine leaving the garment behind because that wasn't the important thing anymore. The only thing that was important at this moment was that Christ had called and nothing was going to stand in between him and the Savior. He makes this mad dash. Here's the blind man without his garment. Coming to Christ. Coming to Christ. And Jesus poses this question to him in verse 51. You recognize this question? Same one he asked to James and John, right? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks. What do you want me to do for you? And notice this blind man's response. Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. That was very humble, wasn't it? Very simple. Didn't ask for a lot. Just what most human beings would enjoy and take for granted. Sight. I just want to see. Let me see. He calls Jesus an interesting term. He calls him Rabboni. Now, normally you would hear someone refer to rabbi. The word rabbi meaning teacher or like a professor, if you will, or master. But this term is really an endearing term. And you find it again with Mary Magdalene as she experiences the resurrected Christ. She refers to Christ by this same title as well. And it's interesting because it really is an intense personal significance to this term. It's really a confession of faith. An endearing term. He's declaring, you're my Lord. You're my master. He's not just saying, you're a teacher. You're a master. He says, no, you're my master. You're my Lord. My master. My Lord. I want to regain my sight. You know, salvation is not just some ticket out of hell. It's much more. It's a confession of faith that leads to an undying devotion to the Savior, to a life that's lived in Him, by Him, for Him. He is Master. He is Lord. This is why we can't have this easy believism, as we've called it, where you just say a prayer or walk an aisle or do whatever it is that you do and say it's all good. And you have some type of experience or emotion and you leave that place for nothing to have changed. To continue to live life 
like the world. Is that salvation? Is that what we're talking about here? You see, when we experience Christ, and we experience true salvation, He becomes our Master, our Lord. He's acknowledged as such. Our life belongs to Him. What a difference. And what was the instrument, according to verse 52? Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. You see, faith was the instrument. Christ called, Bartimaeus was granted faith. His faith made him well or whole. That's what the term saved here means. He was made well. He was made whole. His sight was restored. You understand what happened? Because of faith, he was restored. There's only one way we who were born in this sinful condition, man who had fallen, man who had fallen from his relationship with God, from a place of perfection to a place of sin. The only thing to restore man back to that order and restore man back to that place and restore man back to that right relationship with God, the instrument by which man is restored is faith. For by grace are you saved through the instrument of what? Faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. This is the result of his unconditional calling. No one deserves his call, but thank God for his merciful call. Amen? Have you heard his call? This brings us to the final thing that we see in verse 52 about Bartimaeus. From his uncurable condition, his unceasing cry, to an unconditional call of Christ, notice he experiences now an unbelievable change in verse 52. Immediately, that's one of those key words, right, in the book of Mark. It, it, It occurs over and over again. Immediately, Mark tells us, He regained his sight and began following him on the road. Look at this unbelievable change that takes place in in Bartimaeus' life. The change was immediate. Immediate. Why is that significant? Because only Christ could do this. You think about it. This man in his blindness, if there was any other way to cure him in his blindness, what would it take? We have some modern, modern marvels of medicine these days. There are lots of things that we can do with surgeries and medicines and other things. But even if we were attacking blindness, what would be required? Some type of procedure that requires time, right? Some type of recovery, some type of administering of maybe some types of medicines, but it would all require some time, wouldn't it? Even if we could successfully do this. But that's not what happens in the case of this blind beggar. He receives his sight immediately. How in the world could that happen? It could happen no other way except the one way that it did happen. This was a supernatural act of God. He was healed by Christ Jesus instantaneously. So we're left to say only Christ 
could do this. And that change that he experienced that only Christ could provide was so impactful that look at what he says in verse 52. Immediately, he regains his sight. And what does he do? He began following him on the road. Now, I can just imagine... I, I can't put myself there, but I, I can try to think about this and imagine. If I have not been able to see, and suddenly, immediately, I have my sight. What do you think I'm going to do next? I can only imagine what I would do. Maybe at that moment, I think, you know, I've been hearing these birds chirp. I wonder what a bird looks like. I might start looking for the birds. I might say, I've smelt flowers and heard people talk about how beautiful they are. I want to look at some flowers. I can, I can imagine all types of things I might want to see and put my gaze upon. And all new things I'd like to discover in my new sight. But what does Bartimaeus concern himself with? When he receives his sight, there was one place he looked. It was to the one who gave him sight. He looked to his Savior. What does he do? We're told that he began following him, following Christ on the road. There was no distraction at that moment. His concern was for the one who had delivered him. And his gaze was simply focused there. And he began to follow. That's what discipleship is. Someone has said, no change, no Christ. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, isn't it? You see, though our change is immediate, when we're saved, when we encounter Christ, there's immediate change in our life. You understand that there's still this process of sanctification. Though there's an immediate change, there's this walking that out and learning and growing in it. Does it mean the moment we come to Christ that every sinful desire that we've ever had is completely gone? That we'll never have another struggle with sin. That we'll never have another problem in this Christian life. No, not true at all. Our desire is changed immediately. Our desire is after Him, but we still have that struggle with sin. And so we go through this process of sanctification, whereby God is growing us and making us into what we ought to be. And day by day, we walk with Him as disciples, and we learn of Him, and we emulate Him, and we follow Him, and we grow in Him. Because now we're in Him. That's what discipleship is about. And so Bartimaeus, who's newly received his sight, begins to follow as a disciple. He begins to grow. Are you as grateful today for your salvation as the moment that you believed? Are you as grateful today as you were then, are you following him today, daily, in your life? You know, I think back to the parable that Jesus tells about the lepers who were healed and what happens. They all run away forgetting what happened. Only one came back to say, thank you. You know, how grateful are we today? Do we continue to follow him today? There would be evidence, wouldn't it? It would be evidence of our salvation? Is there fruit? Is there evidence in my life flowing for me 
Is it evident the change that took place in me? Can we see the difference in me and the rest of the world because of the encounter with Christ and how he has changed me? You see, the story of Bartimaeus paints this vivid picture of man and his relationship to God. We all, like Bartimaeus, find ourselves in this uncurable condition with nothing more to offer than an unceasing cry for mercy. But that with the unconditional call of Christ, we experience an unbelievable change. And so we cry out this morning, God, have mercy. Let's bow our heads and our hearts together. You have been listening to a message by the political pastor from his home pulpit. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. From 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Be sure to follow The Political Pastor by visiting thepoliticalpastor.com. Click on the subscribe link at the top of the page and learn how to subscribe to us and our various social media feeds. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ and His salvation, please visit thepoliticalpastor.com. Click on contact at the top of the page and write to us. We welcome the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ.